So tonight, um, just close here with some more time in the real presence. Give a little conference and then um, do a little scripture reading. And then I just invite you to be with Jesus for about a half hour in silence. During that time, if you like, the two kneelers are right up against the altar. You feel free, uh, come up and just put your hand on the base of the monstrance and just touch it, like the story of the woman with the hem of the garment. Just touch it. Just put your hand out. Great power in touching the monstrance and doing that, pouring everything into his open side on the cross. His open side goes right to his sacred heart. And that which we can't carry ourselves, he wants to carry. That's why it's open. I can't carry the burden of my marriage. I can't carry the burden of my children. I can't carry the burden of work. I can't carry the burden of my family, my mother, my father, whatever it is. What are you carrying? He knows you can't. He wants to carry it. Pour out your heart to God. So we'll expose the Blessed Sacrament. I'll give a little conference. At the end of the conference, I'll do a reading of Scripture. After I read the Scripture, we'll go into silence. And that's when, if you wish to come up and pour out your heart, touch the Lord, then at that time you can freely come up and circulate. Again, if you don't want to, you just stay where you are. So your mission is to uh, take everything we've said about the, uh, the sacramental life, especially the Eucharist, and fill the secular world with the presence of Jesus. That's the dignity of the laity. It hasn't changed. It never will change. Um, you are the missionaries in the nooks and crannies of the places that nobody else can reach, namely your friendship circle, your neighborhood, your job. The Lord has commissioned you to fill the secular world with his presence. That's your dignity. It is not to keep Jesus to yourself in a private relation. It is to proclaim the relation to the world. It would be very odd if someone asked a woman to get married and never told anyone. In fact, it's counterintuitive. Usually when you ask a woman to marry you or you find the woman you love, you cannot help but tell. It spills out of you. That should be the same with Jesus. That's the natural mission of the laity. God, as it says there above 19, God wants his house full. What's God's intention toward us as human beings? To ruin our fun? No, his intention for us is clearly seen in the crucifixion. His intention is to give himself to us so that we might respond to him in love. In and of the same power of love that he's sharing with us from the cross. Because he knows we can't respond to his love the way we should with our fallen human nature. And so he sends the Holy Spirit, fills us with his own love so that we can love him in return. As we said this afternoon, 
Ask him for that spirit. He wants his house full. That means he's a God whose deepest desire is to be in relationship with us. The obstacles to that are never on God's side. The obstacle is always on ours. And so if you look at 19, these are the the classic obstacles, the seven deadly sins. I call them places of immediate gratification. And this is our one of our greatest weaknesses as men is that we want it and we want it now. And the the scripture is very clear that we are to wait on the Lord. Wait on the Lord. If you think about God, God has in mind the welfare of everyone. Can you imagine the chess game that involves the moving pieces that it takes to have found your wife for you? The circuitous roots, people, relationships, the exchanges and encounters that had to happen to put you and your future wife in the same room at the same time. And he's doing that for everyone. What's he doing? Willing their good. Relax. It's coming. Our greatest struggle is fear that we are forgotten. What we call delay, he calls preparation. From our perspective, it's delay. It's abandonment. He forgot us. From his perspective, it's the best. Wait for it. Don't be tempted to take out of fear. Grab out of anxiety. Always be disposed to be open to receive when it's being given. Because he will never disappoint. And remember, he'll disappoint you as an American, but he'll never disappoint you as a human. And from my perspective, I don't think God sees nations. I don't think he sees popular political economic cultures. I think he sees humans. And he satisfies humans. And he'll give you what you need as a human. And to some extent, we have to become human to be satisfied by God. That's what he means, I think, a little bit about when he says you must be like a child. You must be like a child. You must trust that I'm taking care of things like a child plays. What's the origin of play? The origin of play is self-forgetfulness because you know that your father's taking care of you. That's what play is. As a little five-year-old boy, I can go out in the backyard and play with my brothers and sisters all day. 
and never once stop and say, huh, I wonder if my dad paid the mortgage. I, I never had that thought. Never. You've met people who were economically poor and they tell you when they get to be adults, I didn't know I was poor. Poor people say that all the time. I didn't know I was poor. Because as a child, you're being provided for, even at the level of simple gifts of that poverty can give. Oh, there's soup and bread again. It's being provided for. And what's a kid do then when he knows he's being provided for? He forgets himself and plays. But because we're afraid we're forgotten and not provided for, we can't play. We can't be self-forgetful. We, we are only obsessed with worry, control. I remember once when I was in counseling, I went to this counselor because um, I was afraid of flying. And I was wondering if there was any cure for that because in my job I have to fly. And we got into all sorts of conversations about my feelings and my neuroses and my stresses. And turns out that I was a control freak. And that he discovered that because I told him, every time I'm on a plane, I have to sit by the window. And it was uncovered because if the plane starts crashing, which of course was my deepest fear, I could look out the window and know I was crashing. The last hold on control. It's in us. Fear that I will be forgotten. So I take, I grab, I control. And Jesus and the Father are all about giving. That's what the Trinity is. The Father forgets himself and gives completely to Jesus. Jesus forgets himself and gives completely to the Father. And that love is so dynamic that it is a person, Jesus, excuse me, the Holy Spirit, which then is further given to us, poured upon the world, so that the world then can be taken up into that Trinitarian love through the power of the love between the Father and the Son. At the very epicenter of existence is giving and receiving. Why do you think he would not be faithful to himself with you? That's all God does all day is give. You just took a breath. Thank you, God. He keeps giving. But because we are afraid, we sin. So if I just draw your attention to those seven deadly sins. They say pride is the most important sin. I'm not so sure, but it's, it's prominent, right? It's when we absent ourselves from the relationship. You know, God, you are taking too long. I'll take it from here. And then we cut all the bonds and we create our own world. And of course, that's going to spiral out of control and we're going to hurt ourselves and hurt people because that's not our truth. 
Our truth is that we are in communion. Our truth is not that we are in control and that we are isolated and that we are the center. No. It's like what your grandmother used to say to you. Who do you think you are anyway? Who do you think you are anyway? Center, big shot, boss, control. Fearful. We are loved nothings. What does that mean? If God didn't love us, we would be nothing. Not we would be dead. We wouldn't exist. We are loved hyphen nothings. And that little hyphen in there is very important. To be a loved nothing. Because sometimes it's hard for us to live in that hyphen. And so we either fall off a hyphen on the side of loved. We're loved. And that's what gives us pride. Because we begin to think it was owed to us. Or we fall off the hyphen on the side of nothing. And that's the origin of despair. And the last sin you committed, I guarantee you 100% a year's salary or my lifetime's salary. The last sin you committed is because you either thought you were everything or you thought you were nothing. That's why you've got to stay on the hyphen. You've got to live in the tension of being loved, but never having to necessarily existed. You are loved nothing. This, is, this hyphen is the origin of gratitude. If you don't live in the hyphen, you'll never be grateful. You'll think everything is owed to you, or you'll think you're worth nothing. Only the man who lives in the hyphen can worship because he knows exactly his identity. I am, but I did not have to be. Thank you. And for such a man, when his behavior flows out of that identity, it's called virtue. For the rest of us, who straddle between being loved or being nothing, our behavior flows from sin. I am nothing. So I better grab and I better console myself because no one else will. I am everything. So I better control and dominate before someone finds out that I'm afraid and I'm alone. Whatever sin you confess today, it was because you thought you were everything when you executed it or you thought you were nothing. And the role of the Eucharist is to get you back on that hyphen to get your head screwed on straight as to your real identity. You're not nothing and you're not everything. You are a loved nothing. He called you out of nothing 
by his love. He sustains you in his love. And if he ever was untrue to himself and negated his love, you would fall back into nothing. Thank you, God. What a mystery. That you who are happy in yourself and need nothing beyond the communion that is your own identity, Father, Son, and Spirit, would ever think of me. Would ever think of me. And give me a life that will eventually fully share in that Trinitarian existence. Holy, holy, holy. Unbelievable. And when we grasp this, we see how pathetic our sins are. Do you really think someone made to participate in the Trinity by way of union with the body of Christ could ever be satisfied by food? By sex? By money? Do you think you could ever be satisfied when your destiny is heaven by these puny passing things and experiences? And the reason we know sin has messed with our minds is that sometimes we think, yes, food, sex, things, can satisfy me. That's how messed up our minds are. And that's why Paul so right this afternoon to say that we need to take on the new mind, the metanoia, the mind beyond the one we have now. Gluttony. God cannot be trusted. He will not provide. The whole story of the manna in the Old Testament is about, it'll come in the morning. Wait. It will be given. Wait. No, I don't think so. I better grab all the food now. You know, in the buffet line. Why is this guy only giving me one plate? I know I'm going to be hungrier. I better take two. And no one's going to give me, I better take it. Because I'm alone. The fear. What I need will never be given. Lust. Bodies are for my use. My wife's body is for my use. As opposed to my body is a gift to be given. Her body is a gift to be given. A symbol of love. No, bodies are to be used 
immediately. Gratification. And notice how these possess us as humans. They become part of the fabric of our way of operating. You not just lust, you are lustful. It's in you. You're not just glutton, you're a glutton. You're not just gluttony, you are a glutton. What you pay attention to, you become. You're a hoarder. Anger. I'm out of control. I better regain it. I better regain it through a disproportionate use of power. And anger again, rising up from fear. Rising up from a sense of being forgotten. Slighted. How dare you overlook me? I worked for this company for 10 years. Don't you see me? Don't you know me? This is an injustice to who I am. And so I will be angry, not even at you, but I will be angry in my heart, which destroys me from the inside. I hate everyone who has slighted me, forgotten me, overlooked me. And it eats us up on the inside. Disproportionate anger destroys relationships. I remember once when my kids were little, they had those annoying little tyke toys, those yellow and red things that, you know, survive a nuclear war like cockroaches. And they filled the front lawn. And every day I would say, clean that mess up. And they wouldn't. So one day I went out and they were done and I said, clean this mess up. I gave a big dad speech telling them the history of their disobedience. And Marianne came up next to me and said, whispered, do you want a relationship with them when they're 21? Anger destroys relationships. But it makes me feel good. Sloth. Sloth sometimes is called laziness, but it's more than that. The ancient definition is abandonment at your, of your post in a time of battle. Sloth sometimes looks like lust. This marriage is hard. Who's over the fence? Fantasy. The life of fantasy is the life of lust, of sloth. You're at your desk. You're driving your truck. What's it like to be a rancher? What's it like to be an insurance agent? I hate my life. I hate my job. What's it like to be someone who has no kids? What's it like to be someone who has a better wife? That's sloth. Sloth is letting fantasy entertain you to the point where you leave 
your assigned post. Terribly destructive of life. Envy. Not that you like the shoes that man has on, but you want to be the man in those shoes. The extreme of envy is murder. You don't just admire that man's house. You want to be in it. And you seethe in rage that you are not that man. It again possesses you. You can't shake it. It inhabits you. Envy, sloth, lust, gluttony, anger. Greed. Greed is just the material um, twin of gluttony. And notice that so many of these things can become pathological. They can have psychological tripwires where greed becomes hoarding where you need therapy lust where you need therapy addiction to sexual things where you need therapy all of these things become so extreme that you they literally make you sick they are fire don't play with them. What's the antidote? Our Father, who art in heaven, what he gives you, receive. Did you ever think you didn't get that job because there was a woman that you would have had an affair with or money that you would have stolen? And Jesus didn't give you that job because he was saving you. Not hating you, loving you, not forgetting you. There are all sorts of those chess pieces waiting to be moved because he loves each one of us. And we always interpret things as a slight when in fact it could be protecting us. Remember, Jesus wants our happiness. Whatever our sin, the Lord Jesus Christ wants us to know that that is not our identity or a burden that we need to carry our whole life. There are sins that you don't do anymore. You must always remember that. When I was a kid uh, in the sixth grade, a friends of mine and I, we'd get off the school bus in the town I lived in and there was a pharmacy there and we'd open the front door of the pharmacy and there was a back door to the pharmacy out to the parking lot. And we'd run, we'd get off the school bus, run through the front door, go down aisle 6A and had a big display of playground balls. And we would knock over the display of playground balls and run out the back door. I don't do that anymore. Right? I have no desire for vandalism. It's, I can even talk about it and not be tempted. That's how deeply Jesus can heal you. Jesus can heal you so you can talk about double-stuffed Oreos and not be tempted to eat them. 
if you were a glutton. Because there becomes the sphere of holy indifference, holy freedom, given to you, not earned by your willpower, given. By what? By grace of the relationship. The relationship is what gives you the freedom from sin. Stay in the relationship, it's coming. What's coming? Freedom. Get out of the relationship because I'm not good enough. I'm a bad Catholic. Church is going to fall in if I go worship there. Keep going further and further from God and you will stay further and further in sin. Because sin is not something that you self-medicate. It's an operation that a skilled surgeon removes. And you have to be in the place where the healing is occurring. And that's the relationship. And you're in the right place. Amen, amen, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave the bread from heaven. My Father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is that which comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. The bread of life comes down from heaven to give, 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 give. It's being given life. Don't take. The saddest thing in human life is to take what was meant to be given. There is no sadness like the sadness of a thief. To take what was going to be given anyway. Jesus wants to spare you that sadness. Ask for trust. It's coming. Tomorrow morning during the conference, I'll have a brief conference and then we'll have a chance to talk. If there are any questions that had come up during the conferences in your prayer. So I'll have a little dialogue at the end of the retreat tomorrow morning. So think about if there's anything that you need clarification on, any ideas or that I shared or anything that came to you in prayer. Amen, amen, I say to you, it was not Moses, it was my father who gives you the true bread. For the bread of God is that which comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Lord, give us this bread always. Jesus said, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never hunger.
And whoever believes in me will never thirst. I am the bread of life. The body of Christ. Amen. I am the bread of life. Unless you eat of the flesh of the Son of Man, you will have no life in you. Give us this bread always. And he is. Two thousand and twenty years later, he's still giving. Imagine. I will not leave you orphans, Jesus said. Two thousand and twenty years. He's still true to his promise. I am the bread that gives you life. Why are you looking for the living among the dead? This is the only place that gives life. Sin only can give death. Do not look for the living there. Here is life. So let us be with Jesus for a few moments in silence. Come and be with him closer if you wish to kneel for a few minutes. Otherwise, just remain where you are and pour out your hearts to the Lord. <laughs> 